Welcome to Headed Someplace, a show where strong, inspiring, enduring women share their stories with us. I'm Kara, and this week my guest is Monique O'Dunsey. She is a mom of two boys who are both five years old, but not twins. We'll get into that in a minute, but she shares today about what it was like to deliver one of her babies at just 24 weeks gestation. So they spent a lot of time in the neonatal ICU, and she talks with us about that. But then she also shares about suffering for 10 years with chronic health problems, and just in the last year experiencing healing, not only physically, but also healing from wounds from childhood and seeing a lot of restoration in her relationships. So Monique, tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do in life. Okay. Um, Well, I'm Monique O'Dency and I am a wife. Um, I'm married to Ernest O'Dency and we've been married for, it'll be seven years in a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. Congrats. Um, So thank you. Yes. Um, I have two boys, um, Ernest the third and Ezra, and they are both five right now, just for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us how many, yeah. Tell us how many months apart they are. Um, so they are eight months apart. Okay. I, when you, when I first heard you say that, I was like, wait, how does that happen? (laughs) Yeah, I get that a lot. Some people think they're twins. Some people think when I say that, maybe we adopted the adopted one. (laughs) Um, I think there's literally only been one person that's ever said, Oh, so is your, one of your children born prematurely? Like only one person has like thought that, but yes. We um, got pregnant like seven and a half weeks postpartum with our first. (laughs) And then Ezra Caleb was born at 24 weeks gestation. Oh, wow. Um, So, yeah, I was six months pregnant when I delivered him. Oh, my goodness. And otherwise, they would have been exactly a year apart. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's how that happened. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. So before, because I want to hear more about that, um, but before we do that, I want to hear one of the first questions I ask every guest is to tell me a random fact about you that not a lot of people know. Okay. So um, I figured since our anniversary is coming up, I would share that um, Ernest and I shared our first kiss on our wedding day. No. Not to be confused with our first kiss ever. <laughs> <laughs> But to each other, okay, yes, with each other. <laughs> oh my, that is so cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, I actually this is gonna sound bad. I actually had a commitment to do that, and then I didn't. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> it's hard. I totally understand because it was the hardest, one of the hardest things ever in life. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so when did y'all? When did y'all meet? Like, tell me y'all story. Okay, so we actually met at a church that we were going to before we came to Frontline. Which yes, Frontline is where. Is how we know each other. That's where we go to church now. It's in Oklahoma City. Yes. And so I was going to that church from the beginning when it was planted. Um, and then Ernest started going to that church in 2008. Um, and so we knew each other through that. And we didn't start dating until 2010. So we knew each other for a couple of years before we started dating. Wow. And then how long did y'all date? We dated for a little over a year before wow. we were married. <laughs> Way to go. But seriously, it was really one of the hardest things I know that like a a lot of times when we would leave each other like we would hug for extra long time (laughs) yeah 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 exactly 
That's but so awesome. the quick version of my side of that story, my best friend in 2008 had just gotten out of a relationship and she told me, Monique, I'm not going to kiss another man until you're married, till I'm married. And I was like, you're crazy. There's <laughs> no way. Like, I was like, who are you going to marry? Yeah. <laughs> so it's dream that. Yeah, good luck. Good um, luck. And then a few months later, I came to the decision through a whole lot of stuff that the Lord was taking me through um, that year. A lot of insecurities, a lot of doubt that I would ever, ever find someone that would love me for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the things that I wrote down is that I would save my kiss for my wedding day. And then when Ernest and I started dating on our second date, we were driving down Broadway extension and mm-hmm. he was like, let's set some ground rules for this relationship. And I was like, okay. And the very first thing out of his mouth was, I would like to save my next kiss for my wife. And oh I was just gosh. like, Oh my God, this is awesome. Monique, I have chills. That is so cool. Pretty crazy. What a sweet, (laughs) what a sweet little gift from the Lord. Yes, it was. Cool. Okay, so how long before y'all had Ernest the third, you said? Yes, Ernest the third. We were married in June of 2011, and I found out I was pregnant in November. Okay, so fast. So pretty quickly. Yeah. Yes. So with Ernest the third, I had a pretty uneventful pregnancy in the beginning and then at our gender ultrasound when we were getting ready to see the gender the doctor noticed that I was having contractions and I think I was 22 weeks pregnant with him when I went in for my ultrasound and I was dilated to a one so they said that basically I was going into labor and if they didn't do something to intervene I would deliver a baby um, soon. And so I had a surgery right away, like the next day. um, And they basically, it's called a cerclage and they stitch your cervix shut. Wow. And then we went on with our pregnancy as normal. Um, He was born at 40 weeks. At 38 weeks, they take the the stitches out. And then, yeah, went on to deliver him um, naturally and he was healthy. And then we were crazy. (laughs) And... (laughs) (laughs) kind of missed each other for a minute (laughs) we really did um that literally was what happened Mm, um because from the time I had the surgery we could not have intercourse um and so I believe the lie that uh, if you're breastfeeding you can't get pregnant okay well you're a proof that you can (laughs) hear that all you all you all you baby mamas (laughs) out there (laughs) yes yeah I think um Trey was four months old whenever I was really sick. And you said, do you call him Trey? Ernest III? Call him Trey. Okay, Trey. Okay. And I'd been sick for like a week or two. And I took a couple of pregnancy tests just in case, but I really didn't think I was pregnant. And we didn't have insurance at the time. And so I was like, Ernest, I just need to go to the doctor. But it was going to be like $100 out of pocket just to go see a doctor. And so he said, take one more pregnancy test and then we'll do it. And so I took another test and and it was positive. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure because my boys are 17 months apart and I felt like my body like had a hard time going getting pregnant that fast was it was it really hard that other pregnancy oh my goodness I I you know what I will say this I thought it was gonna be the end of the world I mean I threw the test at Ernest (laughs) (laughs) and I cried like a baby that whole night because I mean all of the things are going through my mind I have a four-month-old what am I thinking like I'm already exhausted and tired and then of course the cervical issue I knew I had done a lot of research after right after we found out that's what was going on with my body with Trey and I was really really terrified of what might happen 
She was extremely high risk because she got pregnant so fast and at 21 weeks, she was put on strict bed rest. And then just a couple weeks later, her water broke. The night that I went into the hospital, my, the night that my water broke, the NICU doctor that was on call came to talk to us. And basically she said, if your baby's born tonight, he's probably not going to live. Mm. Um, she talked about all the interventions that they do when a baby, when a baby is born um, early. Mm -hmm. And they told, she told us that we may not be able to do a pick line, an IVA, like intubate him because everything's going to be so tiny. So she told us to prepare for the worst. She told us to make decisions like get an outfit up there that we would want him to wear. Would we want to hold him? Would we want to take pictures? Wow. And crazy, crazy enough, I just wasn't shaken by that. Mm. It was be bizarre. Yeah. So yeah, I, I didn't think he was going to die. I was very much aware of the fact that he could have delays he could have other complications in life but yeah something the Lord just gave me a peace knowing that he was gonna live okay so he was born just four days after that after your water broke when you were 24 weeks pregnant and how big was he he was one pound and six ounces oh my gosh oh my yeah. gosh so he could fit in your hand yes Yes. He was freakishly long, though. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he was really long. And so it was that was really weird. I didn't expect that. Everything was so tiny, but he was so long. Yeah, you think of like a little plump baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was going through your mind? I think I was in shock. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I was in shock that it had actually happened. I was really believing the Lord to um, hold him in even longer than that. Yeah. But before I even, I think at 13 weeks, the Lord started burdening my heart for um, babies that had like birth defects. And through that, I came across like babies in the NICU and pictures and things like that. Wow. And so I kind of started to look into that. And I really didn't ever think, it never crossed my mind that he really could be born that early. Yeah. But I felt like the Lord started to prepare me in, in really strange ways. But I had a lot of peace, actually. Mm. There wasn't a, a moment in all of that that I thought Ezra was going to die. Wow. I actually never had one of those moments. Um, I feel like that's the grace of God. <laughs> it was absolutely the grace. So what were some of the complications then and, and then take me to now with him? Um, so he had a level two brain bleed when he was born. And so they told us that the complications that we could have with that would not show probably until later, till he was around three to five. Um, and that seemed to be true for him. Mm -hmm. um, and it could affect things like his learning, sensory issues, um, he had a very uneventful NICU stay, actually. His okay. lungs were, obviously his lungs were underdeveloped and all of those things. But I mean, it was literally just day in and day out, um, waiting for just those things to happen, just for him to grow. Um, I didn't get to hold him until he was 17 days old mm. because when a baby is born that early, they told us that touching his skin would be like him touching a hot stove um, mm. or an iron. So we were restricted to only rubbing his head because he had hair to... Yeah, as a barrier. Um, yeah. yeah, as a barrier. Exactly. 
So he was intubated, meaning that he had a tube breathing for him until he was two months old and then um, switched to just being on oxygen. He did develop a little infection, which caused him to have to be intubated again. Um, He also had to have a a minor eye surgery, but by the time he was four months old, little Ezra, defying all odds, was able to be taken home, actually right around his actual due date. How big was he when you brought him home then? He was five pounds and two ounces, I believe. Okay. So he Oh, still a precious little guy. Yes. And so we experienced, uh, he was delayed severely. Um, He did not sit up until he was around like 11 months old. Okay. And he started walking when he was around two. Okay. Um, he didn't get off of formula until around two as well. He actually had a special formula that was more like a insure, like a, um, older um, individuals, they'll drink like insure to get all of their nutrients. Mm-hmm. It was a version of that, but for babies. Okay. And then we had issues with him feeding because he had sensory issues, which is there that brain really right. kicking in. Was it hard for you at this time to see other kids the same age that were doing different things than him? Yes. Um, that was really hard for a long time, probably up until he was three years old. And even still, it's hard um, because he's still delayed in a lot of things. He is a healthy, happy child. Yes. Um, oh, my gosh. He's so cute. <laughs> he's so, so cute. He's, he's very feisty and mischievous and <laughs> just hilarious. But yeah, like he wasn't um, the latest thing we just got over was potty training. He wasn't fully potty trained until December of last year. And he was four and a half. Yeah. And we still struggle with eating. Um, He still has a lot of sensory issues. He only eats like those baby food pouches. Like that's the only vegetables and fruit that he gets. He just because of texture. Um, it's, it's texture. Um, it, there's a lot of things that go into it because there are some things that I'm like, I feel like this, like he eats bananas. That's the only fruit okay. he'll eat, mm-hmm. but I feel like that's a weird texture for True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people, but he's been in occupational therapy, physical therapy pretty much from the beginning. So in his whole little precious life, what have been some of the hardest things about his circumstances and some of the things that you view as like, wow, what a gift? Um, well, first of all, I mean, just his, he's a fighter. Yeah. He is a fighter. Um, and he has reached milestones that we were really afraid he might not meet. Um, so those things are beautiful. And I take yeah. every single one of those things as a gift from the Lord yeah. um, because it just all, it could, it could have all turned out so much different than right. what it had. Right. Um, so those like, those are the most beautiful things. So everything that you experience with a child has been magnified times 10 with him. Yeah, because you're like, oh my gosh, he's saying up. Like, they thought he might not do that. Yeah. Yes. So it's it's always like, okay, is he going to be able to do this? Right. We still have those moments where we're like, is he going to be able to do this? And every time we're just like, that's awesome. Yes. The hard part about that is, is he does it on his time. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's got to be ready. And so some of the frustrations as a mom, you know, you have the typical things that stress you out as a mom, Um, breastfeeding and feeding and um, switching from breastfeeding to formula or breastfeeding to regular food and 
all of those things, um, potty training, all of those things are hard, um, but they've been exponentially harder with Ezra because we've had to work extra hard. Um, we spent so much time in therapy. I used to say, I cannot wait for the day that I don't see OU Children's Hospital. Like I don't want to even drive (laughs) by it. Yeah. So for those listening that are in a similar boat as me and they have kids that are meeting the typical milestones, but we're friends with someone like you who's watching our kids meet those milestones while yours is either not meeting them as fast as quickly or not meeting them at all. Um, I know that has to be hard. So what is helpful? What's not helpful? What does it look like for us to be a good friend to you in that situation? Um. You know, I'll be really honest, and especially in that first year, it was kind of isolating um, yeah. in a sense, um, because one, when he came home from the hospital, we, I couldn't take him in public for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even really have people over. For his um, immu- immune system? For his immune yeah. system, because of his underdeveloped lungs. Um, and so I developed some really deep and rich friendships that was really hard to continue during that time. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think more than anything is just being incredibly supportive and just loving, being close to them, being um, as close as you possibly can be um, to that person. I did gravitate towards one friend who had also had children in a NICU. In fact, her, um, her 10-month-old baby was in the NICU when Ezra was born. Wow. She helped me tremendously navigate the NICU life. And I think it's really hard to really help or be supportive if you don't really know know. what that, Mm -hmm. yeah, what that's like. And so I think I really gravitated towards that friendship at the time. I think what I would say, honestly, is um, if you've experienced it, if you've been a NICU parent yourself, helping somebody, helping someone else know what to expect. Um, I remember she told me it was going to, the hardest thing that I was going to do was walk out of the hospital without my child. Um, Mm. And I was like, okay, thanks for telling me that. I actually felt like that was real. I I don't want to think about that, honestly, type of feeling. But I remember being on the elevator and going down uh, and getting ready to leave. And it just hit me so hard. Mm. Um, And so it was, I was like, okay, she was so right. And I'm, I'm glad that she did say that to me. Yeah. Um, And the friends that I had, they were still very close to us. We got meals. We got offers. Like, um, I had friends that would take Trey. Yeah. And take him out on a day, a play date with them so that he could get out of the house um, and like that. So that was incredibly sweet and incredibly helpful at the time. Okay, friends, quick break to let you know how much it means to me when you all tell me that you've listened to the show. It really does help me to keep making this a priority. I love, love, love when you share on social media so that even more people can benefit or when you text an episode to your friends. What I love so much about getting to do the show is that every single one of these women that I interview really don't feel like they have that interesting or powerful of a story. And they're all kind of like, I mean, I'll be a guest, but I'm not really sure it would be that great. But guys, without fail, men and women are encouraged all over the place. And these women get to get to know how powerful their stories are. So let them know you're listening. Let me know you're listening. And and then let this encourage you to share your story with a friend and ask your friends questions like I'm asking these women just to give them the opportunity to share. I want us to get better at making space for that and empowering each other to share our stories. 
Okay, so additionally, if you want to help me empower women to tell their stories in a more tangible way, then go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, patreon.com slash headed someplace to see how you can join us. That's patreon.com slash headed someplace. And lastly, thank you so much to all of you who have taken a minute to leave a rating and review on iTunes. Please, if you haven't yet, go ahead and do that. It really helps the show. Okay, so I want to switch subjects a little bit. Um, How I first actually... I mean, I've seen, I had seen you around and I don't know you personally super well, but we were at one of the same like women's nights for church and you were talking about that you had been, um, had kind of a chronic illness for the last several years and we're finally experiencing healing from it. And I thought, oh my goodness, like the, as you talked and shared some perspective about it, I thought, oh my goodness, I have to hear more about her story. And since then you've been on my list of people that I wanted to have on the show. So can you tell us a little bit about when all that started health problems and then, and then bring us up to speed on where you are today. Okay. Um, so in 2010, I was in college. It was my final semester. Ernest and I were dating at the time, and I started to get sick. I remember I um, was actually hired for a really brief period of time, and I was just doing administrative work. But I remember I would be in the bathroom for like two out of the eight hours of my day at work because I was having severe stomach pain, cramps, Mm. um, issues with constipation, diarrhea, things like that. And, um, I struggled with that, um, pretty much from that moment on. And I dropped weight really quickly over an eight month period. I went from being around 135 pounds, which I had been since like ninth grade. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'd never been in years. I hadn't been any less than that. And by 2011, I was 115 pounds. So she started going to doctors, trying to figure everything out, and was finally diagnosed with celiacs, which is a gluten allergy. So she thought, great, I'll be gluten-free, and that'll be the end of it. But it wasn't. In December of 2013, Ezra was officially off oxygen. He also had finally been cleared by the last specialist. We had to go to all the specialists for lungs, heart, different organs, just to make sure that all of his organs were functioning properly and none of them were damaged. And something switched in me. I just started to experience all of the anxiety, all of the stress, all of the things. I had been in survival mode and fight or flight. Right. So that had kind of, yeah, powered you through. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had a severe panic attack one day. Um, He was crying. He was in his bassinet. Trey was sleeping in his bed. It was in the morning and he was just crying and crying. And I just sat there for like five, 10 minutes, just looking at him. He was just crying. And I was just like, overwhelmed beyond imagine. And I'd never Mm. felt like that before. And I remember my brain thinking, I just want to shake him so he'll be quiet. Mm. And when I thought that thought, it's something snapped in me and I got up, I walked downstairs. I remember throwing some plates Mm. (laughs) in the kitchen, shattering them on the floor and just collapsing and just weeping. And I called my husband and I said, I'm not okay. Something is wrong with me. You need to come home. And I think I was in counseling like two days later. Yeah. Uh, And at that time as well, I started experiencing pain 
in other areas of my body. Here or there, I'd get severe shoulder pain one day or severe pain in my hand or severe pain in, a le- in one of my legs or something like that. And, and that was 2014. And in 2015, I think as stress and different things piled up, we started fostering my niece and my nephew. And that was a, a, a very um, hard situation. And my health just got worse and worse. I started experiencing pain more consistently. I started experiencing it in more parts of my body. And by 2016, um, I was having pain from head to toe. I was having extreme fatigue. I was having extreme nausea. I was sick every single day. Did you still have some of the anxiety stuff too? Yes, things. I was having panic attacks every other week. Um, I remember being on vacation in Hot Springs and all of a sudden I couldn't I didn't have the sensation to control my legs. I had mm. like I was getting ready to get out the car and I just had to sit back down because I couldn't feel my legs. And I remember like having to think really hard, like stomp your feet. And then I would stop my feet and then slowly I would kind of get that feeling back. Um, and so I had MRI done right after that when we came back um, because the doctor thought that maybe I might be experiencing MS. Um, that was completely clear. Um, and every test, And every time there was a thought, oh, it it might be this. And then it wasn't. It was just a devastating blow. Like I I begged God to just give us, just give me an answer. I think I eventually stopped even praying for healing and just started praying for an answer. Yeah. Uh, Did you just feel like you were going crazy every time? Absolutely. Were you worried like people are thinking I'm making this up? (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's one of the hardest things about chronic illness is to continue to say, you know, I know every week at church, people would come up to me and ask me, how are you doing? And I would often just lie Mm -hmm. and just say, oh, I'm I'm great. I'm good. Because I just didn't want to say one more time. Yeah. I'm I'm sick today. I'm in pain. Mm -hmm. This hurts. Mm Mm-hmm. So after ruling out test after test, they finally diagnosed Monique with fibromyalgia, which surprisingly didn't bring her the relief that she thought it would finally getting diagnosis because there's just still a lot of unknown about fibromyalgia. They think it's a nerve issue, but there's just a lot more research that needs to be done and no one really knows how to treat it. So even though she still had this diagnosis, she was still getting worse. 2017, January to March was just, I was in a really deep depression. I was in a really dark place. And I remember just saying, I didn't question God, but I just said, this is how God wants me to be. Like, this is, I guess this is my plot in life. This is maybe my thorn in my side. Ugh, I hate that. Um, Yeah. And so... I started asking the Lord to, if this is what my life is going to be like. I can't keep living in depression. Mm-hmm. I can't keep checking out of my life mm-hmm. with my husband and my kids and my friends. Um, I need you to teach me how to walk this journey like this, if this is what you've called me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and mind you, everyone in our lives was were praying. The Mm -hmm. elders of our church, the members of our church, our closest friends and family, I mean, they were warring on our behalf. 
Mm-hmm. And by the grace of God, I heard through the grapevine, through all of my friends in different places, several different places of a doctor in Oklahoma City that she's an MD, but she knows a lot about natural and holistic healing. And then also a lot about autoimmune disorders because she's had wow. autoimmune herself. So March of 2017, I went into her office in a level 10 flare up. Mm. And I mean, I was in tears. Mm. I mean, in tears. And she's like, it's okay, honey, let it out. And she let it out. And she's a believer. She believes in the Lord. And so I feel like she's literally my angel. (laughs) So cool. Yes. Um, So I tried a new treatment. Um, I also did some extreme allergy testing, food allergies. Yes. And went on some different diets and things like that. And over the course, she told me that day, she said, I think I can get you well in two years. Okay. And I said, okay, for the first time in a really long time, I had hope because at that point, I literally did not feel in any way, shape or form I'd ever be better. I just didn't believe it. I didn't have hope for it. And I left that day with hope for the first time in a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's only been one year since I've seen her and I am like 85% better. I mean, I don't even know. I still can't believe it. What, what has it been like for your husband, Ernest, to get to see you experience healing? Um, (laughs) we are both like we'll have moments where we're both just be like, I can't believe this is happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing for us, um, intimacy was a huge deal. Um, yeah, cause you didn't feel good. And it was extreme, you know, um, because I was in pain constantly. And so even at moments when I would push myself to, because I wanted to, not just because, yes. Oh, I need to do this. You know, um, it took a lot of strength and energy to even get to a place that I wanted to be intimate um, yeah. with him. Yeah. And then once we were, it was great. And that that was like, I remember several times crying and just being like, those are some of the only moments that I feel something other than pain. Mm, so wow. now I think we're just both very excited, I think. And we just, we went, we had a date night like a month ago and Usually date nights are really short and sweet, maybe a movie, maybe dinner, um, but we were out late and I was in heels and I didn't hurt at all. <laughs> and yes. we were out to like midnight, like we were teenagers again. Living it up. Yeah. <laughs> I actually had friends that saw our post on Facebook about that date night that came to us um, a few days later and was just like, so happy to see that happening for you guys. Mm. And just know that we've prayed for so long. We were kind of mm. at a, like an elder meeting and we were just celebrating the fact that we'd all spent so many of those meetings praying for my healing and now it's happened and it's wow it's just every day that I get I just thank the Lord and Ernest thanks the Lord and um, he's excited for me and he's excited with me and yeah it's awesome that is so cool so I want to give a shout out to Ernest your husband because okay so I am probably going to botch like all of this. So I'll have to put the link to his original post. But for those of you who don't know us and you can't see us, I am white. (laughs) Monique is black. (laughs) Monique is black and her husband Ernest is black. Okay, so a couple years ago, I think it was around 2016. I can't remember exactly, but y'all probably remember there's a lot of tension between people of color and law enforcement. And there were people all across the board Uh, It was very heated, and there was writing and all this kind of stuff. 
So, okay, a little background. I grew up in a predominantly white community, and I just don't remember witnessing a lot of racial injustice or tension or anything like that. And that was probably in part to the church community that I was a part of and my parents always seeming to just treat everybody the same. And so in my mind, like my experience uh, colored the way that I saw things. And I was like, I don't see the big deal. <laughs> I'm so sorry. This is so embarrassing now because I'm like, <laughs> but I was like, I don't, I just don't, you know, I, I'm sure that there is still racism and I'm sure it's hard, but look how far we've come. And here's, here's the ignorance of my <laughs> thinking. I was like, we have a black president for crying out loud. Like things are improving. Everyone <laughs> needs to chill out. Yeah. Uh, you probably like want to reach through the phone and smack. No, but, no, um, <laughs> I don't. No, I don't. Trust me. <laughs> but so I, I'm like, okay, you know, but yeah, still, you know, there's news story after news story of these things happening and people rioting and people being frustrated and misunderstood. And your husband, and it took like me knowing somebody, I think, personally, he wrote this blog post and he was just sharing his experience as a black man and his thought process as a black man. And uh, I remember it not being accusatory of either party or excusing either party it was simply just sharing his experience and there was a part of this where it's after fourth of july and he was talking about oh my gosh the fireworks in our neighborhood was so stinking loud and my kids are trying to sleep can you people like please cut it out and he's like and i thought okay maybe i should call the police Mm -hmm. and they'll get him to to quiet down and he's like and then i thought no i can't call the police because what if like this gets out of hand because i'm guessing you live in a neighborhood that's predominantly black yes we do so he's like, I don't want to call the police because someone could, you know, could get out of hand. Someone's up going to jail or or worse yes. just for lighting some fireworks. Yeah. And I thought it was the first time that I thought, um, I've never had that thought in my life. Yeah. Like, I've never, I've never thought I won't call the police. Like. <laughs> right. Yes. And it was just this, like, light bulb moment. And I feel like the grace of God showing me, like, Kara, just because you've not experienced this doesn't mean that it's not real and it, do- it doesn't exist. And I can't imagine where that must come from within you that you, that's one of your thoughts when it comes to thinking of calling the police. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. this is not, this is not about, like, police or whatever yeah (laughs) it's okay in fact Ernest even says in there that the hope that we have to unweave this tension the hope we have for unity is children of God living for the glory of God so that looks like a police officer being a child of God living for the glory of God and it's interacting with authorities as a child of God living for the glory of God because that's when as children of God we'll start to look more like our father and become like Jesus when he says, I can't do anything except what I see the father doing. And so that's the hope we have. So like, I'm so thankful that he just wrote that simple post talking about his experience because it took me knowing somebody and trusting somebody and being, and sadly it took that (laughs) to, for me to start seeing like, okay, something is going on here. And, and I invited some girls, um, actually one of them was on one of my shows, Lauren Palmer, mm-hmm. 
invited some girls over. Our favorite. Um, that are, <laughs> yes, I know. They are a different color than me. And I just like, I wrote down all these questions and I was like, sweat. I don't really get nervous that easily. And I was like, sweaty. <laughs> and I have these like list of questions and I invited them over for, bre- for breakfast because I'm like, I just. We need, I just need to be able to talk about this in a safe place where I can be like, say all my things that might sound offensive because I'm terrified to death of sounding offensive. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and um, so I had him over for breakfast and I'm like sweating. They're like, why are you so nervous? I was like, I don't know. I'm just really scared I'm going to offend you. <laughs> something <laughs> I say. But it was such a cool time of like just talking and like sharing my heart and my story and then hearing their heart and their story and just opening this door of like okay how can we come together with like my my circumstances in life are still the same my uh upbringing is still the same like my point of view is still the same I'm still gonna probably naturally see things differently so how do I you know how do we do this together yeah and it was really it was a really cool like beginning for me and it all started from your husband Aww. well I mean you know that's how it happens you know one person at a time um sh- yeah sharing these stories hearing these stories and being willing willing to do exactly what you're doing learning and you know it's actually funny because I have a very different black experience than even my husband so there hmm. are things that <laughs> we he's he's taught me a lot let's just say that but I think yes. we're all really trying to learn and we're trying to learn how to tread these things well as well with grace and love even from our perspective and so yeah it's yes. a lot of learning going on but he's he, yes it is he's uh he's he's pretty insightful <laughs> I don't think he would yeah. be where he is if he weren't and so he's he's very helpful mm. he helps me too <laughs> yeah that's so, so cool yeah Okay, so um, I know that you've experienced some, like, restoration with your family. Yes. Um, in the last year, can you talk just a little bit about that? Yes. So my mom and dad divorced when I was a baby, and uh, my dad got sole custody of us. He remarried, and we lived with him until I was, like, seven, and then they were divorced, and then we moved in with my grandparents um, because my dad hit some hard times and couldn't really roll single dad Um, at the moment. And so we moved in with my grandmother and that was supposed to be super short term. And it ended up being, I graduated from high school living with my grandmother. Wow. And around the age of 10 or 11, reconnected with my mom. And there are a lot of crazy family history (laughs) entwined with all of that. Grandmother not really liking my mom very much and dad and mom, obviously not together for a reason, Um, all of those things. So, you know, I would only visit spring break, maybe a week in the summer, um, very limited amounts of time. And then I moved to Oklahoma City for college and through time and circumstances and money and gas and all that stuff. I just never really got to spend very much time with my mother. And so she hit a rough patch in life and last year asked us if she could move in with us and we're like absolutely (laughs) Um, so I get to have her with me and I mean it's since March it's been the sweetest of times and my mom and dad (laughs) divorce happens for a reason I think that's probably all I have to say but it was a big huge tension between my parents Um, Mm -hmm. huge and then my relationship with my father has been incredibly rocky Mm -hmm. and he found the Lord um, when I was in college um, or gave his life back to the Lord. He was raised in church, all those things. And so Mm -hmm. things started to slowly change, but we still had a lot of things that 
we needed to work through for our relationship to be a father and daughter relationship. In fact, my dad mm-hmm. did not come to my wedding. He did not walk while wow. he wasn't there. But in the last, I think things started to switch when we fostered my nephew and my niece. Um, it brought our family because we were, it was a breaking point for breaking point for our family. Mm-hmm. What was going on. And through that experience, there was even more hardship that came while they were living with us. And so that brought our family together more, learning to navigate that and love each other well through all of those things and reunification and all of that. And my dad um, found a new respect for my husband, Hmm. for him being so willing quickly to bring in my niece and my nephew. And now that we know, like, your life wasn't easy during that time. No. Yeah. (laughs) So there's, yeah, there's so much (laughs) going on. Um, And so... Slowly but surely, we started working some things out and hashing some things out. And me and my dad have the most beautiful relationship. And my husband and my father have the most beautiful relationship. And Mm. my dad and my mother, (laughs) um, they talked to each other a few times during that whole ordeal. And there were some things exchanged during that ordeal. (laughs) Yeah. Things they didn't appreciate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, come out from even way in the past and those things have Mm. been talked about and put out in the open and just recently my when my mom it was actually on Ezra's birthday as ironic as that can be for all of these things to come such full circle my dad came over to just you know tell him happy birthday and see him for a little bit and my mom's here and my dad my dad and my mom have talked several times my mom has a lot of health issues as well and he's called Mm -hmm. her when she was in the hospital and just said hey I'm praying for you things like that um and Mm. so he prays for her he cares about how she's doing and vice versa and so I saw my parents whom the one time I saw them in the same room together was my grandfather's funeral in 2012 wow my parents hugged each other right in front of me in my home. Wow. And my dad was complimenting my mother and telling her he hopes the best for her in this new new adventure and this new move and all of these things and vice versa with my mom. Oh my goodness, that's so beautiful. Yeah, so just the Lord has redeemed a million things in my life in mm. just the last like eight months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Lord is incredibly good and sweet. And through all of the hardest things that I've experienced, I've seen the most beautiful, beautiful work of the Lord and his goodness for my life and my family's life. And it's cool. It's so cool. I love that. Okay. So the last question that I ask every single guest is if you could go back in time five or 10 years and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? Um, I thought about this and I think that what I would say 10 years ago, <laughs> um, 2008, was a very interesting year for me. Dealt with a lot of insecurities and just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of things. And I think I would tell mm-hmm. myself, you're worthy of unconditional love um, mm-hmm. from the Lord first, ultimately, and then from all of the people in your life that are supposed to love you. You're worthy of that unconditional love. Um, it took me a really long, long, long time to believe that. I've walked through healing and I've learned so much about different things, unforgiveness in your heart towards things and inner vows and sin that not only I 
committed, but the sins that were committed against me in my lifetime through that, I just didn't believe the Lord cared about me. And I just didn't believe that the people in my life, I could trust them to really care about me unconditionally and love me. Um, And in 10 years, the Lord has changed that exponentially. And so I'd, I'd wish that I could have known that during that season of my life, for sure. Wow, that's so cool. And knowing that too, like knowing a little bit more of your like history and childhood and that struggle with unconditional love, it makes sense why you t- told the Lord about like the man you were going to marry that you wanted him to love you for yeah, who you were. absolutely. And so, so much more powerful that you and Ernest like he really pursued yeah. you. And that's like, <laughs> you know, that is probably, that's an hour story in and of itself. Cause there's a lot, you yeah. know, <laughs> I'm leery about us in our Christian world, um, putting these idyllic views on marriage and relationships and how you, you know, who your husband is, but right. the Lord did do some very deep, significant spiritual things to connect Ernest and I to be who we are today. And by marriage, um, the Lord was able to redeem and restore even some of those past hurts and things that I was feeling insecurities and struggles that I had just through my husband. And Mm -hmm. he answered some very specific, particular prayers. And it's just mind boggling sometimes. Thank you all for listening to Monique's story today. You can find me on Instagram at Kara Dawn Z. That's K-A-R-A-D-A-W-N-Z. And let me know that you listen to the show. Share the show with someone you think would be encouraged. And go to headedsomeplace.com for notes from today's show. You'll get to see photos of baby Ezra in the NICU. And then now, happy, healthy Ezra and the rest of the family. You can also contact Monique or myself straight from the episode show notes at headedsomeplace.com. Special thanks today for music from thelightparademusic.com and Frontline Music produced by Dustin Ragland. He's the bomb. Thanks, Dustin. Thank you for listening, and I hope today you feel a little less alone and a little more encouraged.